Hello and welcome to Expert by Experience Network Broadcast. We are a campaign group supported by Refugee Action and represented by people with lived experience in the UK immigration system. We are here to share stories about our lives and experience. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to our monthly podcast. Uh, we will be speaking on seeking employment for the Lift the Ban campaign and the restrictions of it. Uh, my name is Jason, and we will do a round table of our members that are taking part. Hello, my name is Maria. I'm the Advocacy Manager at Refugee Action. Um, I'm really excited to be joining today. Thanks for having me. And I'm Catherine Labadieu. I am uh, an expert by experience. I'm a human rights activist, and I'm also a campaigner with the Lift the Barn campaign from Russ Voice, which is refugees and asylum seekers group that is under the umbrella of Refugee Action. Thank you for having me. Well, welcome to you all. I think most let's kickstart on the awareness of Lift the Ban and where we are and sharing our first-hand experience, each of us. Uh, Marie, so let's kickstart with you on your awareness and where you started. So I guess my um, awareness started when I came to Refugee Action in 2019 and found the Lift the Ban campaign and was already set up at that time. It was started in 2018 um, as a coalition campaign. Um, And even when I first started um, working with the campaigners supporting it, it was clear that it was a really broad coalition. It spoke to lots and lots of people. Um, There was people with lived experience in that coalition. There was businesses, um, there are trade unions, there are grassroots groups, um, bigger charities, smaller charities, um, and think tanks from across the political spectrum. And with now 260 organisations involved in that. So that's hundreds and thousands of people um, actually supporting this call for change. And then since then, I've worked a lot on the campaign and very closely and worked alongside people who have lived experience. And I feel like I've gained much more insight into just the very, very sort of terrible um, impact that it has not being able to work, but also the nonsensical approach of government in not making the changes, because I feel like I've gained really clear understanding of the many benefits of changing this. And I can talk more about that later. But yeah, that would be my kind of experience is learning through those years um, and learning the importance of the campaign, which obviously you could see at the beginning, but it comes to life as you see what's actually played out in people's lives. Yeah, totally agree. Kathy, on your end. I encountered Lift the Ban from a gentleman called Jonathan. So he came to one of the hubs where I was, an asylum seeker who didn't have much to do, but wanted to be doing something in the community. So we then, you're sitting, you're meeting people, trying to integrate into the community and thinking this feels like a waste of time. I've got more skills, I could be doing something else. So he comes and he introduces himself and talks about refugee action with the ban and then an opportunity for people with lived experience to actually do something about the situation, the limbo they find themselves in. So when he introduced himself and said, well, you can actually be a part of this as a campaigner, there's a lot of training that comes with it. It's not too much pressure, but you would be delighted to be in. Before he even finished, I was all in a hundred percent. So yeah, I've I've known with the ban, I have become a campaigner, and yeah, I'm, I'm supporting it all the way. And here I am. That's fantastic. 
Uh, my experience has been with through These Walls Must Fall, which is a charity in Sheffield, and with Rask Voice. But there were a couple others, uh, Yorkshire Mesmac, were working and currently is working on it since 2016. Uh, I think it's gained momentum, as Marie was saying, from 2018 with the uh, charitable hubs and working in a global campaign with on the island through Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, England, and where it's expanded. And I think with Wrath Voice and the different autonomous groups within Refugee Actions have broadened horizons on that and focusing how can we uplift and show that asylum seekers in lifting that ban is crucial for the economy. It also reduces what costs that are heavy laden or the misinformation that is put out there. Um, speaking with councillors, MPs within local authorities and districts on how can we infuse the workforce uh, within our respective areas, wheresoever asylum seekers are residing, whilst improving their mental health and not feeling that they're useless and gaining that they're worth, building their worth. And, and, and all bringing to the concept as well the fact that every human should have the right to actually work and expand themselves on that horizon. But let's jump into uh, introducing solutions and discussing those issues, how we can improve that our campaigns on Lift the Ban and getting the word out and what can be done. Uh, let's start with you, Kathy. What do you think are the solutions within the campaign? Right. The, the first thing that we have to understand, especially when you are someone with lived experience, you're coming to campaign is you are hoping, you are praying and dying that this actually works instantly. Like when we do it, when we go for campaigning, when we go and speak to MPs, we're hoping that it's going to be lifted immediately or in that year. But then you realize that it's actually like a work in progress. It's a journey until you get there and that there are milestones that you can actually take to say, okay, we have achieved this now. And then after five months, okay, now we have 250 plus organizations that are coming to the coalition and, and stuff like that. As Russ Voice, we have been doing the basic thing like speaking to our MPs, reaching out to them to say, you know what, this is what is right to do. It makes common sense, like we say, at Refugee Action, because of all the numerous benefits that there are to it. Uh, so they, there are many things that we do. We speak to MPs. We, we also invite them to come to some of our meetings so that they can meet the amazing, wonderful people with lived experience in the asylum system, with amazing skills and professions that they could actually contribute if they were allowed to work. So it's, it seems like it's too much to do, but that's our everyday life and our everyday hassle. So we keep doing it until we reach the expected goal, the ultimate one. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And working on such a wider spectrum of getting it awareness out within, just not only within our charitable organizations, but for those, the misinformation to the public. And that, I would say the centrist voter and the centrist persons will there are a lot who do not pay attention to what parliamentary politics on the television and goes by word of mouth on what's going on in the community. So that's a big rise. What do you think as well, um, Marie, on your end, are the solutions that we can look forward to improving? Yeah, I think that's a really um, good point, Jason, about kind of people's knowledge. A lot of people don't know um, people who kind of might be supportive but aren't very active or haven't got lived experience themselves or haven't ever worked um, in a refugee and asylum context. They don't know that people seeking asylum are banned from working. Um, and often 
once, um, for example, in my role at Refugee Action, I often have to explain that when I'm speaking to parliamentarians, which is a big part of my work. When I explain that people are banned, often the response that you get is, oh, that doesn't make sense. And then when you start to explain, well, actually, and while people are banned, they have to live on £5.84 a day and they can't do anything about that and they can't add to that, then people become more shocked. And I think that getting the word out is is really important because there are people who would support us more um, but they don't know because there's a bit of technical detail that you're kind of many kind of people who aren't connected in any way to this issue don't think about but you know it is good that in 2020 we handed in a petition that was signed by 180,000 people like that's brilliant um, and in polling we did in March 2022 81% of the public said that they supported lifting the ban so there are supporters out there I think it's about galvanising and bringing together to show to kind of policy makers that, that we won't take no for an answer and like Cathy says it's not giving up and you know that polling was the same across people that vote on all political spectrums and I think that a lot of the work that we're doing campaigning is kind of we've got to keep working on the numbers at the grassroots level and those really kind of messages platforms where we can get kind of visibility as much as possible so sort of but you can't do one without the other you know yeah, yeah. totally agree I think one focus is that on grassroots is that in looking at policies because it's so political and the politicization of the lift the ban has been made by the Tories in such a way that it can work against in okay I'll if you we are thinking that much money is being allocated within the asylum system in dealing with refugees crossing the, French, the, the English Channel and you want to deter, as they say, people smugglers. Well, I think the best way in reducing such millions of pounds and billion of pounds going into the system, which they say it's not, it's not, could be going elsewhere within certain criteria and policies and departments going into the NHS and other parts, we can give asylum seekers the right to work, lessening asylum support money, having reductions within where you're getting to pay your way. That policy widens the scope and gives the Home Office right, a, a good platform in saying, well, it deters anyone now thinking British, you come to Britain, you get a free house and you get free money, you get a house. The fairy tale that is advertised throughout and the people smuggler said, I'll get you to Britain and you can go and you can have a life by any means. We have desperate people uh, coming across here and trying to start a new life. And the, the vetting system, let's, let's be clear about it. There are economic migrants and asylum seekers within on those boats as well. Yes, it needs to be improved, but I think that in the deterioration of it, in speaking and getting the messaging out to people, is getting those policies equivalent that on equal footing as anyone else. The, as I always said, the job of the migrants is not to show how different we are from the native of the island where you put ground, it's how similar we are as humans. I think, um, what do you think guys on going on conveying uh, as experts by opinion, I'll start with you, Cathy, on the messaging to the wider audience on lifting the ban and how relevant it is, especially for Brits who have gotten who've come and been here for more than, say, 30 to 40 years, coming from Africa and different parts of the world of the Commonwealth, and gotten their status. How important in conveying the message to the, to the wider population and audience on 
how important it is to have the right to work for an individual and for asylum seekers? Well, um, I think you, you say something very important where you are looking at people who have been here for 30 plus years and they are now British technically. And uh, sometimes you don't see those people, you know, being part of campaigning groups and all. But I can imagine that if we have people who have integrated so well in this big community and who are being accepted and who are elevated and doing wonderful work with the communities as British people, if they also come and support us, they are in a much better position, in my opinion, to go there and raise our voices even louder. And they are there as testament that people with lived experience, they can actually contribute more. They can actually make an impact. In the UK, whether it's economically, socially, politically, like we are seeing this every day. So it's important that we continue to do that. And I was going to say, in relation to how we're going to continue advocating for the ban to be lifted, we were just recently speaking to Mariam, who is the head of campaign at Refugee Action. So we were basically looking at what are we going to be doing in the next six months? And this is what we agreed to. That as far as Leave the Ban is concerned, we will work with uh, other organisations and particularly we're looking at asylum matters for obvious reasons to continue the campaign and particularly in response to the new Conservative Party leader and that uh, some of the work we will include attending the political party conferences with the Leave the Ban event at the Labour conference, which we have been doing for the past uh, few years and it has been fantastic. And it's always good to see how you have support from uh, MPs who come through and people who come through from different organisations to see how they can be supporting with the ban. And also sometimes just checking with us as to where we are and seeing if we are doing everything right. So it's, it's been a fantastic journey. And also we're going to be holding a gathering of the coalition to launch the High Street Challenge. And that challenge will be to ask local businesses to support the campaign and uh, probably Maria will be in a better position to speak about that. So there is a lot of things up our sleeve and hopefully we get the ban lifted. Yeah, I, I do think on that part, Marie, let's expand on how far we are pushing the main topics of what are the imperfections and what is incomplete on the campaigning that we can bring around full circle, as one may say, on because there are different topics for each um, campaign and different uh, categories for each specific organization. I think um, we kind of move the topic and the needle around with the ban in different areas. Some way will go to on education or then it will reverberate back to accommodation. But focusing on, on the work is the most criteria where we have, especially as a policy, especially looking at how we can, because we we're dealing with the offshoring with the Rwanda issue, and that's already has, has an impact. It's ongoing in the courts currently right now. So I think Lift the Man has its own criteria and point that where it's a bit incomplete and it's imperfect at the same time in how the policy has been constructed and how we're working out to make it complete, to put it forward to either the MP, the councillors, and let them see exactly how if this will work in the betterment as a policy for everyone involved. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point. Like there's so much going on that sometimes 
where to put the attention and where to put the focus and where to lay out the policy detail of something that might happen or that we are campaigning for can be difficult. I think the thing with Lift the Ban is that it's always important. So it, when all of these other issues are happening, we're talking about channel crossings, we're talking about the government policy on deportations to Rwanda, some very terrible changes that have been brought in under the Nationality and Borders Act. Through all of those, Lift the Ban is still a consistent thread. Like, and it's something that we as Refugee Action always come back to and we guide the coalition back to, to continue the... Um, to, get, to make sure that the momentum of the campaign doesn't fall. So in the last year, um, an opportunity to check for change and to make the policy complete in the way that you've kind of described was trying to lobby on the Nationality and Borders Bill to get an amendment. And we were supported um, with an amendment by um, the Conservative peer, Baroness Stroud, and by a whole other range of parliamentarians um, in the House of Lords, but also MPs in the House of Commons, um, from across the benches, so SNP, Lib Dems, Conservatives, Labour, of course. Um, and that wasn't, in the end, successful. But from that, we still build new relationships and we still um, have the same focus on the campaign because we don't actually need a bill to change this we can do it through secondary legislation and so because there's always another opportunity it means that the momentum of the campaign can continue and like Kathy mentioned the event that we're going to do at Labour Party conference like that's another way of bringing attention back to this I think in terms of presenting it as a policy what we've done a lot of is um, alongside things that you've mentioned like you know, speaking to people about the impact on their mental health of not being able to work and showing the kind of possibilities of change. There's some um, work done around integration that I think both you and Kathy have talked about a bit, um, kind of touching on that people want to be more part of their community and work as a way to do that. We also do look at kind of economic side, so speaking to the Treasury and kind of looking at the fact that if at the moment, there's 86,000 people who are in the asylum system who've waited more than six months, according to the last round of Home Office figures. And if those people, if 50% of those people were able to work, that would present a possible saving of around 308 million to the public purse, which is a huge amount of money. And really what that rounds up to is that about nearly a billion has been wasted by the government across the 10, 10 years previous to this, which is huge. So... I think in terms of presenting it as a whole policy, that's another part of it, kind of looking at the, you know, the fact people are being forced into poverty, people with skills in the midst of a labour shortage aren't being allowed to work for absolutely no good reason other than kind of, as you've said, it's been picked up by this kind of current government as one of their sort of culture war issues. Um, and also that actually, if you did make this change, it would save money in a time of economic hardship and for the country and that the government, that the public supports it with that 81% polling. It's neatly wrapped up, but that's not the reason we're getting pushback. It's different. So we kind of reminding people of that, that this is achievable and that it will make sense is really important to keep the momentum going, I think. And I was interested in what we we're talking about before about linking up with other organisations. I also think, you know, the points you're making about spokespeople kind of linking up with the broader anti-racism movement and kind of looking at the hostile environment. Like this policy is part of that, stopping people from working. Um, and I think it's really important we reach out in that way as well. Yeah, totally. And I think we, we must pay attention to the, I think the miscommunication of the distraction that the government gives within their political agenda and their messaging to their conservative base which is we are dealing with asylum, 
we are pushing to make sure that the offshoring happens. We um, continuously, we've had, I think beginning of September, we had 2000 migrants crossing uh, and still continue. And I think we've been, the messaging now has really gone to the Albanians and the deportation of Albanians and focusing on the drug situation on wars that is quite rife uh, here in the UK with that. But I think that is a distraction as well and a messaging in gathering another branding of asylum seekers as, oh, well, coming over here to work in gangs and such. So we need to deconstruct that messaging to show, no, there are people who are right now on that boat are coming from countries where they do not have, they have the free liberties to live their lives, poverty from uh, religious persecution or sexual persecution, human trafficking, uh, young daughters being sold by their fathers. So we need to put that figurehead, our own branding of who are on those boats coming across and what they're coming here for, for safety and the right to start a life in freedom and having those Western laws in protection, which they do not have in their native countries, instead of the branding that the conservative government puts out as us as thieves, murderers, rapists and such. I think changing that narrative. Uh, in the last minutes, let's focus now on the personal experience uh, we have in knowing persons uh, seeking asylum of who have credentials to do the work. As Marie put it quite bluntly, in the workforce shortage that we have, there's a massive shortage with the NHS and doctors. I think the base of most of our doctors came from the Commonwealth. That has dropped significantly since 2018, and it's continued. I remembered we had so much from the Commonwealth nurses coming from Sudan, from Africa, from the Caribbean, from uh, parts of uh, the subcontinent. Uh, that has drastically changed. I met a, I think it was a biochemist, and he ended up working as a barber in when he got his work permit because of the policies and that ban on where he cannot push with the qualifications that he has. I gather, I don't know how you guys feel about it, in being stateless, but you lose your education when you arrive here, what you've built up and learned in your postgraduate or undergraduate going university and such and doing your doctorate. And when you arrive here, starting at one again. We'll start with you, Kathy. How do you feel in dealing with her knowing friends that but they are so overqualified because that's what's used now, you're overqualified. I just can't believe that that someone can be overqualified for a job. Uh, you can tell <laughs> us your story if you know anyone. Yeah. It's that. interesting though to look at it that way or even just to say someone can be overqualified, which is what we've seen even with some of our members um, in Russell's once they get their leave to remain and they're looking for work. So in other places, they are deemed overqualified. And then in other places, it would be like the, the skill, the, the gap. Like, well, you lost work like five years ago, 10 years ago. Your skills are not relevant anymore. And that's because of this issue that they were not allowed to work all this time. So it is frustrating. And you have people who were engineers and doing great. Then they come and start like being a barber, like you said, or being just another guy, which is, it's not a, it's not bad, but the thing is, that's not their passion. So they don't have the right to life. They don't have the right to, to choice because now you have to go within what you're being dictated to. So to, to put you into perspective as to the numbers, I will encourage our listeners to watch our frozen protest on our uh, website. It will show you that they are about 45% of people seeking asylum 
who are actually deemed critical workers. So they have these amazing professional skills that are needed in the UK with the employability skills that are needed, but still they're not allowed to work. They're not being put on board. But what if, what if we could get those engineers, what if we could get those nurses, those doctors to come and give a hand, to come and fill the gaps? I mean, what's wrong with that? It makes common sense. It makes good sense after all. So it, it's a shame that there are many people, friends, colleagues, who go through this and it is depressing to say the least. So sometimes I know of a friend of mine, she is a doctor, but she cannot, even though she has the opportunity, but she's been drained so much emotionally, she can't operate as a doctor. So that's how devastating it is. It is damaging, it is undignifying, and it should just stop, the ban should be lifted. True that, I support that. Marie? Yeah, I definitely support that too. Yeah, I think working on this campaign, I've been in touch with lots of people um, who aren't allowed to work in the UK. And I think some of the kind of stories that stay with me, to be honest, hearing somebody speak about that experience and what it feels like um, and how it makes them feel frustrated or worthless, but also the small amount of money that you're trying to cope with. But um, I know last year in one of the party conferences and um, one of the speakers talked about the feeling of her trying to explain it to her children, you know, and trying to explain like them not having enough and them not having really enough for things they needed for school. But her not really being able to get across to her quite young children that she wanted to work, but she couldn't work. And that kind of frustration um, and the kind of continual feeling of not living in dignity. And I think it's really important in this campaign to stress that we definitely aren't campaigning or nobody here is asking that people have to work people don't people like you say crossing the channel come here because they need to seek safety and they need safe routes to get here they do not have to come with a skill to offer that said everybody has something to offer and like i think we said at the beginning it's a right it's a human right to be able to work and to find what you can do i think that's that that kind of essence is so important in this and and kind of comes through in everybody that I've spoken to about it when they're you know sharing their experiences yeah definitely i think um the experience alone it's so mind numbing and soul changing mm-hmm. and mentally i especially for families i find that sort of hereditary dread and anxiety of depression of you cannot fulfill your deeds as a mum or dad to your son or daughter. And then as a young boy, young girl looking to expand your education and that is halted, it's your just your time is just frozen for each individual, but most of the families involved and how they you want to start your life, you're just in limbo and that limbo continues. I think for our final thought, um, what is our main purpose in lifting the band that we like to delegate to our audience in, that they're unaware of and that they should know from each of us? Let's, I'll start with you, Marie, that what would you like to delegate to the audience on the purpose of lifting the band and the relevancy of it? Um, I suppose what I'd like to delegate to the audience is kind of a call to them to if you're not already involved in this campaign get involved sign up there's lots of opportunities to do things listen to what you've heard here today and if it isn't you know if it's something that your life is being affected by maybe and you feel you have space to do that maybe you can reach out and become involved in the campaign if it's something that doesn't affect your life um maybe try and imagine if it did and also do the same thing that would kind of be my message i think we need um people to continue to kind of 
um, get their voice heard on this and push um, also if you, you know, kind of push it all levels. So yeah, that would be what I'd want to delegate is take action, don't do nothing. Definitely. Taking action always is a great prospect for any movement. Uh, Kathy? Well, I'm going to say, just adding on to what Mo has said, that um, first and foremost to people with lived experience, people who are in the asylum system, that do not give up. And if you can, join uh, organisations like Refugee Action, join campaign group like uh, Ross Forts, and be a part of something big, part of something that will give you the hope that there is a tomorrow. And just being around people who are like you and people who want to be you know, integrated well in the community. So I will advise people to do that. And also to remind the public, just like what Maria has said, that 71% of the public, they support lifting the ban. So do not be left in the 29%, come and join. And also to people who are in business, that there's 67% of UK businesses want the ban lifted. So why is your business waiting? Do you not need wonderful people like us? Well, we could make a difference. So, yeah, there you have it. Yeah, oh, I absolutely love that. I think most importantly to the listeners, I want to make to get the gravity of the situation is that one's fears, you, when, one, when one's traveling, you abandon all your fears, your insecurities, because it emboldens you to intake what you're going to experience when you arrive there. That experience is not given to an asylum seeker when they're fleeing for their lives and for their children's betterment. The fears are much grounded. They're, they're very centralized and they're in your DNA and they don't go away because you're still being vetted as a person because you're stateless and you'll become a commodity of the state. So the most important is bringing a humanistic approach and remembering that what benefits you benefits me. And that must be our tagline and our motto i will it's beneficial to lift the ban for asylum seekers to work it's beneficial in the fact the policies of giving someone a right to earn their keep and not have to beg and squander and you know grovel at someone's feet bring the humanistic approach have some consideration to your humanity give them shoulders that they can stand up and do what's necessary you know, that just the love and the respect of that will go a far way. I want to thank Kathy and I want to thank Marie for joining us on this podcast. Um, thank you, audience. Uh, I'm wishing all of you a wonderful, wonderful September and looking forward to our next podcast in October. Thank you kindly, everyone. Come on, sing with me. Thank you for listening to EBE Podcast. For more information, you can visit Refugee Action website and to catch our latest, you can follow Ras Voice on Twitter at Voice Ras. Thanks again and see you next time.